Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bikini Podcast. This is episode number 65 and today I'm going to be answering a bunch of questions that have been submitted through Instagram. So the first question that I have here is, will Laura Lee dethrone Jen Dory at this year's Olympia? And I mean, if I was going to bet, I'm going to say yes. I think that although as impressive as Jen Dory is, I do like her. I mean, I thought last year was very impressive. Look, the the front pose, the rear shot, the top to bottom balance, the conditioning. It's it's a very bikini. It's a very strong bikini look. I do think, however, Laura Lee has made the improvements. If the Laura Lee at the Arnold this year shows up at this year's Olympia, then I think we will have a new Miss Bikini Olympia. And that's to say if Jen Dory doesn't improve because we don't know if she's improving her physique and what she's going to come. I mean, what is the feedback from the last year's Olympia? I have no idea. You know, what are the improvements that she needs to make? I have no idea. What are the improvements that she has made and will she show on show day? Is she coming? Is she going to replicate the same look? I don't know. So I'm assuming if Jen Dory rocks up exactly how she did last year and Laura Lee rocks up as she did at the 2022 Arnold Classic, I think we have a new Miss Bikini Olympia champion. That's just my opinion. That doesn't mean I'm right. I just feel like Laura Lee had a very, very good package at the Arnold. The balance of fullness, conditioning. I mean, her glute hamstrings were really tight and I just feel like her rear shot now is... It's probably going to beat Jendori's rear shot from the front. It might be swayed to Jendori. I think Jendori has really nice top to bottom balance, small waist, and just the crazy hair. I love the crazy hair in the front pose. It's going to be close between those two, but I would give the edge to Laura Lee. I mean, we're also dismissing other competitors like Ashley Kay, Janet Leigh. We don't know exactly how Janet's going to rock up. I mean, Janet is a dark horse. I do think that Janet is more than capable of beating everyone in the lineup again. Will that happen? I'm not too sure exactly. So we'll have to wait and see. The next question that I have here is, what do you look for in a coach in brackets for the team? I'm assuming, um, meaning coaches that are working, that, are, that will be working underneath me. And that would be someone that's willing to learn, has a good level of understanding of biomechanics, mind-to-muscle connection, similar training style to me, a good communicator and someone that's very driven. I think if you're driven and you're ready to work hard and you know exactly what you want, you have clear set goals, then you're probably going to be a good coach. And if you have the mindset of I'm going to do my best and I want to learn as much as possible and I'm going to continue to learn, then that's the type of person that I would would like to work with. The next question here is when to start using a belt currently weighing 65 kilos so this is definitely individualized and it's personal preference, but I personally like to use a belt at all times. That's just what I like to do, just as I don't recommend, you know, squatting and deadlifting, you know, for the same reasons. I think if you learn to breathe through your diaphragm, it's the old school bodybuilding look. And Charles Glass, you know, he's, he's trained, you know, bodybuilding legends like Flex Wheeler, Chris Cormier, some really big legends in the 90s, even trained Dexter Jackson. What do all these guys have in common? Small waist. Is it genetics? Yes. Is it their, the way that they've been training? Yes. What was interesting and what I learned, and I've said this before on podcasts, was that Charles Glass had his athletes were about at all times in the gym. And I was very much against this protocol to begin with because I, d- I didn't really understand it. And I was of the mindset where you'd wear about when you need to. So for example, if you're squatting, wear a belt. If you're deadlifting, you wear a belt. If you're doing like a heavy barbell bent over row, you'd wear a belt, these type of things. But Charles Glass was the person who brought the idea to my attention because he implemented it with the flex, uh, the flex wheelers, the Chris Cormiers, and a lot of these guys who had small, tiny waists. And I thought to myself, I need to try this out. And it was something that I tried out and that it worked really well with competitors. Now, this doesn't mean that everyone needs to listen to this protocol. Do what you think is in your best interest. You know, Ronnie Coleman had a very, very small waist. Why did he blow out his waistline? Yes, you could argue drugs. You could also argue that, you know, squatting and deadlifting, he definitely thickened his core. He thickened his midsection. He thickened his lower back. His erectors were absolutely next level. Was his erectors that thick in 1998 versus 2003, for example? The answer is no. Even look back um, in 1994, Ronnie Coleman in 1994, if you look at his erectors, his thickness in his lower back versus his thickness in 1998. As he grew his erectors, 
he sort of lost the illusion of that waistline. Obviously, his shoulder-to-waist ratio is gnarly. His lat development is absolutely ridiculous. So he has a great taper. But clearly, over time, your lower back thickens up. You know, your midsection, obliques, your core it has to develop if you're really putting time into, into building up your squats and deadlifts, right? Particularly deadlifts, I think, really build up the erectors. So I am of the view that if you have a specific category, you want to train for the category, you want to do everything in your power to enhance those proportions for that category, my recommendation, my personal preference is to, in, to not do those movements and to also wear a belt. And some people might argue against that, and that's up to them. That's their opinion. You know, I have my methods. They have you know, they have theirs. And at the end of the day, it is what is in the best interest of the client. Results do the talking. You know, so that's the way I would look at it. The next question here is: Hi Troy, my job requires sitting mostly every day. Is it possible for me to compete? Question mark. So course it's uh, possible for you to compete if you have a sedentary job where you're just chilling and resting it's probably a good thing as long as you're putting the time into the gym and you're working your butt off and you you know you have a coach and you listen to your coach and you have a game plan then yeah absolutely as long as you're putting on the muscle and you're competing in a category where the amount of muscle that you have right now is it fits that criteria then good to go you know then make it happen I, I don't think you know, working in an active job or a chilled out sedentary job is going to influence how you look. If anything, it's probably going to help if you get a chill job, you know, but there's pros and cons to both. So the next question is, is a wellness body achievable naturally or is PEDs required? So this is a very interesting question and context is required. So is a wellness body achievable naturally? So first of all, I would like to define, you know, what is wellness exactly? Wellness meaning bigger legs and having, you know, big glutes, hamstrings, quads, calves in proportion to the upper body. You know, anyone can achieve a wellness type physique. If you want to compete in wellness at a high level, right? If you want to be a wellness pro, you want to go to the Olympia, that is not achievable naturally. And there are people out there that pretend they're natural, that say that they're natural. That's on them. It doesn't really mean that they are honest people. They can say what they like. I'm not here to dispute who's natural or not because people do get shitty about that. But a lot of people in the industry know what's up. It's like I, I use like the, the Ronnie Coleman rule. We have some people that are fake naturals and, you know, they're like, oh, they've, they've never used anything in their life, but they've got legs like Ronnie Coleman. And it's just like, come on. So you're telling me you've never used anything in your life. Th put you on 10 milligrams of Anova, you're going to be Miss Olympia then. Like, what are you waiting for? You're full of shit. So if the wellness competitors have bigger legs, in some cases, not all, in some cases have bigger legs than the classic bodybuilding men who are on PEDs at the Olympia, what does that tell you? Come on. People, I'm, I'm absolutely fine with you know, asking questions because some people, you know, didn't. I remember when I first started in this industry, I didn't understand that there was PDs. I didn't know that it was so common. You know, I used to look, at, look up to people and think everyone was natural because I was so naive and stupid. And <laughs> it's just a, it was just a lack of education and, and heavily naive, just thinking that everyone's on a level playing field. I knew that there was some element of steroids, but I just didn't know how common it was. Probably that's, that's probably more so the answer. So, yeah, it's about the. It, it all depends about on what is the physique that you want to achieve. You know, what does that look like? And you know, you can certainly achieve a very, very nice wellness physique naturally. I definitely think so. It's just a matter of what level do you want to get to? How far do you want to take it? That's a completely different thing. So the next question is: Has Issa made enough improvements to be an Olympia contender this year? Question mark. So I do think that it's a little bit better than last year. I think her conditioning needs to improve in glute hamstrings and it does seem to be the case where she has improved a little bit, obviously winning some shows this year. I do think that she still needs a little bit more top to bottom balance. And I won't get into specifics on that. Do I think she's going to be a contender this year? Contender meaning top two, contender meaning winning? No, I don't think she's going to win the Olympia. I, if I was a betting man, I would put all my money on Laura Lee. And then you'd have to, you can't go past Jen Dory. 
I would, I'm actually very curious to see how Janet is going to rock up at the Olympia because she is the wild card and she's more than capable of coming back and winning the lot again. I just don't know if she's made the improvements in, in terms of development to hang with Laura Lee, who's made some improvements, and to obviously hang with Jen Dory, who's definitely made some improvements herself. And I'm expecting Jen Dory to look better than she did last year. So we'll have to wait and see. The next question here is, what has been one of your proudest moments as a coach not related to athletes' placings? Wow. Uh, that is a really interesting question because I've, I've had a few really cool ones. I think I might have mentioned at the New South Wales show um, when, you know, this is the first thing that comes to mind, when Taya Pick events did not place in the top three in first-timers and obviously the the expectation, the goal was, was to certainly be in the mix and that didn't happen. And I obviously disagreed with that decision respectfully and to see Taya come back for the next set of categories, you know, for novice and for open and to come back and battle it out and to pose more aggressively with a smile on her face and to have that competitive spirit in her blood, in her heart and to push, you know, to just to give her best and, and to not give up showed, you know, showed a lot of passion, showed a lot of heart and it was just really nice to see. That was very rewarding for me personally because I remember, you know, going backstage and talking to her and, you know, we discussed what happened in the first time in category. And then, you know, she, the coolest thing ever was she put it beside her and, and behind her and, and said, like, I'm going to go out there and crush it. And that's exactly what she did. So that was really cool. And I suppose that is related to a placing because Taya did end up placing, you know, in the, in the open. Um, so it's, it's hard to really to say Without placing, I mean, there's, there's been a few competitors that haven't placed that I thought have looked amazing. Um, I remember the first, going back um, a few years ago, there was a competitor, Pamela, who was from South America, and she did the Queensland state title. And I believe, like, did this is really interesting, did a, a novice category and did open. Did not place top three in the novice. I, I think at the time I pissed off a judge, and <laughs> which um, I think it was a, a. I think that's what it really was about. Didn't uh, place in the top three. Was clearly winning novice. Um, it wasn't like, oh, is she really you know in the mix? Did she really deserve a top three? Clearly winning novice, but didn't even didn't even get moved. Didn't even get looked at. I, I certainly pissed off the head judge at the time. And in hindsight, that was a bad <laughs> was a bad way to go about things from my perspective. Like, you know, you know, who intentionally pisses off a head judge? That's what I did. And I believe that uh, Pamela was judged according to that standard. I mean, that's the only logical thing that I could, you know, uh, it's the only way that I could uh, view it. But at the time, I remember when that all happened, uh, I was very disappointed in the judging at a previous show and I voiced my opinion in a way that was probably not the smartest. And it did affect, um, I believe, in this situation, it did affect a competitor. But um, the good thing is, is that that's all old news that's completely in the past. And um, that, was, that was my wake-up call to say, hey, fuck you, shut your mouth, let's get to it. So that's me being as transparent as possible. But Pamela not winning, um, and same thing, she, she did this Queensland state title, she came back and did nationals and she ended up placing second at nationals and in, in the novice and second in the open to live streamlined in, in Perth, who's a very, very impressive competitor um, who was actually really, really well conditioned. Pamela for the show previously in the Queensland state show was definitely one of the most conditioned competitors there. Crazy glute fullness for anyone that doesn't know or remember her, but ridiculous glute development at the time. Like she was ahead of the game, the side booty pop, the rear shot was just gnarly. And, you know, for her to not place not even place, but her or not win novice in Queensland, that was so mind-blowing. I, I couldn't believe it. It was one of, the, one of the worst decisions I've ever seen, to be honest. But her attitude was awesome. The way that she came back from that, you know, she still had a smile on her face, come back, did nationals, made some adjustments, didn't bitch and complain about the decision either. That was one thing that I didn't do. So from that state title, although I thought it was a crazy decision, didn't say anything on social media, shut my mouth, took it on the chin, came back to nationals and what I believe was rewarded with the right placing 
um, which was you know second place in both categories, which was definitely a fair decision, fair call. So the next question is is what what's your Hogwarts house? I'm going to say Slytherin. Absolutely, it's Slytherin. Um, I'm not about to save the world like Harry Potter. I'm about to, yeah, I, I love my snakes. Give me some snake love. Slytherin for sure. Who doesn't grow up as a, as a kid and think Slytherin is cool as shit? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I remember that and I was like, well, Slytherin. And like, we're kind of like Harry Potter anyway, because Harry's cool. But there was something about the dark side and Slytherin and Professor Snape. It was just like, yeah, this is really boss. And for me, that was really, really cool. All right, so the next question is, things you've liked and disliked about Dubai so far. <laughs> I, could do, um, I could do a podcast by itself on some of the challenges that I've had being here, although very grateful for the challenges because it's been eye-opening and character-building, that's for sure, but um, also a laugh. It's been a laugh and an experience. I've had some really interesting things happen here, and... Yeah, I won't get into the negatives, but things that I like, the positives. So really, really cool things. So for example, the weather, you don't really see a cloud in the sky. I, I really like the fact that it's sunny all the time. It's probably the lowest temperature here is probably like 38 degrees, but on average, it's 40, 41 most of the time during the day. And it's in the 30s at nighttime, but I actually like the weather. I believe, so now we're in July, so I'm recording this July 5th. And I believe that it gets hotter and warmer. So August is the hottest month here, which is going to be really cool. Although I'm not going to be here for most of August because I am going to the WBFF Sydney show. So I've got a few clients in that, which is awesome. And then I'm going to, the, the following week, I'm going to Vegas for the WBFF Vegas show, which is going to be awesome for the Worlds. First time going to WBFF Worlds. I'm really excited to see you know, the level of competition there. I know that in like last year probably wasn't as strong as it was in previous years, like obviously due to COVID and the restrictions pandemic. But I know there's some really, really good Australian competitors going over to WBFF Vegas. And I'm really excited to see not just in bikini, but, um, you know, in, in figure, in fitness. But um, the bikini category is going to be stacked for sure, I believe, which is going to be exciting considering, you know, the you know last year's competition. But I do think we've got some Australians who could be world champ in, in a few of the categories. So I'm really keen to see that. That's going to be awesome. And then after that, I believe I'm going to check out Romania. So boom, 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 travel, travel, travel. And then back to Dubai uh, for a little bit of August, September. And then coming back to Australia again for IFB season B and also WBFF um, which will be in October. So yeah, a little bit of travel, but um, I'm most certainly looking forward to a lot of the comps. The comps for me are the most exciting thing. It doesn't matter where I'm at and the expense. If I want to go to a contest, I'm going to go to a contest because it's exciting and fun. So, and um, I really enjoy it. I, it's really rewarding for me as a coach. So now going back to the question, things I liked about Dubai, I also like the people here for the most part. The good people here are really good, but I noticed a lot of the really, really nice people here are Pakistani, particularly the Uber drivers. They're the nicest Uber drivers in the world. And every time I ask, I already know, I can tell. As soon as I get into the taxi, I can feel this guy's energy and aura. I'm just like, this guy's Pakistani. Ask a question. Hey, blah, 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 where are you from? Pakistan. How long have you been here? Five, 10 years. You know, that's generally the, the average answer. But they're really, really cool, genuine, kind people I, I really like pakistani people and so uh, the food here is really nice it's very bougie so a lot of jewelry a lot of a lot of nice cars the the cars here are really cool so let's say you're in melbourne you know the likelihood of seeing a supercar is quite low it doesn't matter where you are right here you you see it all the time so you see all these rolls royces you see different you know ferraris you see different lambos you see a whole heap of different cars. I mean, anything and everything is here and you see it all the time. So it's quite common. So I actually did a story post and I mentioned that it's really cool going to bed at night because you hear the sound of supercars. Like you hear the exhaust and, and the motor and you're just like, yeah, this is motivating. This is the place to be. If you're not sure about, you know, where you're going in life and, and you need some motivation, you go to a place where you've never been and you'll learn a lot about yourself, especially when you travel alone. And I highly recommend for people 
that want to challenge themselves mentally. If you haven't traveled alone, not and traveling alone, not just a week, not just two weeks, do a couple of months outside of Australia by yourself. You're gonna find out who, who the fuck you are. You're gonna find out who you are. And there's a lot of reflection. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, uh, yeah, there's just extreme reflection because you only have yourself and you become your own best friend. And when there are challenges and there's some issues that come up, you only got yourself. You have to rely on yourself and you'll learn a lot of things really quickly. And I think it is something that everyone should do in their lifetime. And it doesn't have to be Dubai. It can be any country. But I, I strongly recommend um, doing that. But what else is cool about Dubai? I actually haven't done... It's actually really hot right now. So I haven't done any like proper sightseeing. Gone to the beach quite regularly, which is nice. But when it does get cooler, I'm going to be doing a lot more like cool activities by myself that I'm going to enjoy but the people here are really good. The food here is amazing and it is very bougie. So it's like you've got a bit of money in, in Australia. You come here, you're poor as shit. It's very humbling. So you're literally at the bottom of the food chain. And I kind of like being at the bottom of the food chain. I, I'm very happy to be that person because it's like, all right, I need to get to work. Like I can't celebrate shit right now. I need to get to fucking work. And everyone has a different view of what success is you know some people are happy with the life they're living the certain level that they want to achieve once they've achieved their goals they're good to go and and the content for me personally i've i have a lot of personal goals that i'd like to achieve i have a lot of business goals that i'd like to achieve and it's important to push yourself and to be and to step outside your comfort zone i truly believe and part of that comfort zone is going to a place you've never been and going by yourself you find out who you are real quick and it's, uh, it's a very humbling experience to come to a country where you see so much wealth, you see so many things going on and it's like, wow, job's not done, let's get back to work. And for me, that's what I'm about. Like I'm just like, I, I gotta hustle and I need to do that. So I, I like to buy for that reason because it's, it's inspirational, probably above anything else, it's inspirational and for me, it's motivating. So thank you, Dubai. All right, so next question here is any athletes, not just yours in brackets, that you're looking forward to watching compete in IFB Australia? Whew. I, um, I, I really have an attachment to my athletes though because I'm invested in their journey. So I, I do see what they're, what they're doing, what, what, their work, uh, what their work ethic is like and the level of commitment. You know, So everyone has different goals and I appreciate everyone has different goals. But I really do like ladies who challenge themselves to, and we're talking about step out, stepping outside your comfort zone. I love ladies that challenge themselves and really set a goal for them that's going to push them to, you know, in terms of their current level, like their level of ability, their level of muscle, and like, this is the goal that I want to achieve. And I know that they're pushing it and I love it. So someone couldn't have very little development and they want to do an ICN contest and like, hey, I want to do ICN. I want to really, I, I want to win my first contest. And I'm like, wow, oof. That's a tough goal. Let's get it. I like it. But then obviously you need, you need to come up with a game plan that's feasible for that goal. And that's something that a lot of people don't understand is they'll come to me and say, listen, you know, I would like to achieve this goal. And I give them a timeline and I'm going to be honest and say, this is how long it's going to take. You know, this is what we need to do. And it's up to the individual to listen to the coach or go elsewhere. And some people do that and that's absolutely fine. But I think that the ladies who do really well in the long run, you know, do put the time in to their posing, do put their time into preparing and having an off season and all these other things, because if their goal is to be really great, it, it, does, it does come down to time spent in the gym. And I do find that a lot of the ladies that do really well have probably mature physiques, have been training for, you know, more than five years. But in saying that, there are some young juniors, there's up and coming competitors that do really well in the open categories and you know do really well as first timers and end up doing very well in the open it happens all the time so there is an influx of new competitors and there are some ladies on the team that i won't point out because i definitely don't want to be seen or perceived as having favorites and i'm just excited to see everyone's journey and everyone has a different starting point and there are athletes that i know have big bodacious goals and i'm impressed there's there's a few athletes in particular that come to mind. I'm like, wow, you've really pushed yourself to go that next level. And I really enjoy that. I really 
do enjoy that, especially when they're first timers. It's just, um, it's very refreshing. Sometimes there are first timers that push themselves harder than seasoned open competitors. And I'm just like, wow, I'm, I'm extremely impressed. And if you look at the results for even the, the pro qualifier just recently, you will see that a lot of the first time competitors, the true first time competitors did well this season. You know, three out of the four open class winners were first timers, I believe. So it just goes to show you what, you know, a fresh mind, a fresh body can do coming into the sport that's just ready to go for it. And, and they get after their goal. And I, I really like that. So for me, I'm probably most excited to see first timers compete because there's always that new up and comer that comes out of nowhere that's got a lot of potential that really pushes it and, and shocks everyone. Next minute they're in, they're winning the Open. So for me, um, let's say we're not naming names, whether they're on the team or not on the team, I really enjoy watching the first timer class for that reason. So the next question that I have here is WBFF Sydney 2022 predictions question mark. Well, this is interesting because I don't know everyone that's competing, right? So I would need to I would need to find out who's competing in what classes and to give an accurate prediction. So that's the issue. Sometimes you don't know who's going to rock up, um, and you know there are ladies that have competed in the past that are competing again. You know that I really like. So for example, you know I think Kayla comes to mind. Um, I know that she's she's prepping. There's a few ladies, but I don't want to go off naming everyone because. Um, there, there will be someone that I've left out and I haven't, these are the, this is the first time that I'm reading these questions and I'm probably going to leave someone out if I comment. It's exactly why I didn't answer the last question and name specific athletes because there is definitely, definitely athletes that, um, that aren't on the team that I would really like to see compete, but I, I can't think of them right now. So the next question is biggest cultural shock in Dubai. Hmm. I don't, cultural shock, I mean, I don't know if anything's a shock. I, I really don't think so. I mean, they're very strict with their mask mandates. You can get away with, <laughs> in Melbourne, if they've got mask mandates and you go to the grocery store, you can get away with not wearing a mask. You can just go, yep, I've got an exemption. You got it, like, it tries saying that to, to, <laughs> to someone, to a security guard in a grocery store in Dubai. I've got an exemption. They didn't give up fuck so you're gonna have to put that mask on currently they don't have mask mandates but like for example if you um i had a medical test done here um you know had blood work done etc so it, when you go into a medical center you have to have a mask on for example and um, there's certain bougie 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 stores um des in designer labels that require you to wear a mask they don't they don't give two shits um about your fake <laughs> about you faking a medical exemption. Um, if you have asthma or not, they don't really care. So it is what it is. You put it on or you don't come in. So, I mean, that they're very strict with that. But um, I don't know. I really like it here. I think the people here are really cool. And there's probably, there's, I, I can't recall the exact numbers, but I believe there's in Dubai specifically, there are 80% foreigners. So a lot of people are imported from, you know, imports from Pakistan, Philippines, India, a lot of the country, uh, you know, a lot of the workers here are, you know, from that sort of region. And um, even, you know, you also have some Europeans that live here, some, you know, a little bit of Australians, not many. Haven't met, I actually haven't met a fellow Australian at this point in time, but I've met a lot of different people from a lot of different countries, which is really, really cool. Uh, actually, one thing that I, um, that I, going back to the question of what I really like about Dubai, it is so cool. That so I'm in I'm in an apartment and I've never lived in an apartment above level one, above the ground floor actually, so I'm on a certain level. And the best thing about this is Deliveroo. They have Deliveroo here, it's, which is a little bit more convenient than Uber Eats. And so you order whatever you order. And the cool thing is, is that these people will come up all the way to your floor number and deliver it at your door. So it's like wow, I didn't know that. Like I'm not sure if that's if that actually happens in Australia. I'm pretty sure you have to meet people out. Like I remember when I was um, in New South Wales for the the um, the Sydney show, so the recent show for the, for the qualifier, and staying at the Mer like Meriton Suites, and I believe I ordered some Uber Eats, but then I had to go downstairs to collect it. Whereas here, the security guard is so cool. They uh, whoever's at reception, reception and security, etc. They let them upstairs, 
and I'm on like level 29 and the dude comes up to level 29 to knock on my door to drop off my delivery. And I was like, hell yeah. And then you can leave a note saying, hey, ring the doorbell and then just like leave it on the floor and, and you're good to go. And a lot of people do that and they're, they're just like, boom. So the delivery here is really cool. I ordered KFC the other day and <laughs> so I actually posted on my story. They don't have the same KFC chips like they do in Australia. In Australia, you got the really cool salt, whatever it is. I don't know what it is, but people are going, eh, it's this trying, but I don't know. And they don't have those chips here with that salt. They've got very skinny McDonald's looking chips that don't taste like So imagine having chips that look like McDonald's chips, but they don't taste like McDonald's chips. They taste a lot worse, but they're actually in KFC packaging. And that's what I got. And I was just like, oh man, I was really wanting to enjoy a thick KFC chip. Got it delivered. It wasn't that I got trolled, but that's just the way it is. They don't have the thick Australian KFC chips. I don't, I don't know why, but... In Australia, if you're having KFC, enjoy the chips because you come to Dubai, ain't gonna happen. So anyway, order KFC, whatever. Same thing, delivery guy knocking on my door, but I'm like, oh, I just went and got it straight away. As soon as you ring the doorbell, cause I have a note saying leave it at my door. Open the door. The dude that delivered it was wearing full KFC outfit. He was wearing a KFC hat. He had a, like a nice you know, uniform with a polo, polo top that had the KFC logo. And he had it tucked into a belt with his pants on and just looked like a typical KFC. He actually didn't look like a KFC host. Like, you know how the people, they, 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 you know, they're, they're working the, the cashier. Didn't look like a cashier or a host. It looked like he was cooking chicken at the back, like he was a chef. And he came all the way here, which, by the way, on Deliveroo says it's 45 minutes um, you know, it takes to deliver. So it's probably like 20 minutes away. He came all the way here, this chef came all the way here to drop off my KFC meal to come upstairs to, to ring my doorbell in the KFC uniform. And I was just like, wow, that, that guy is like fucking lit. So it happens. The service here is incredible. I think um, you know, the staff, for, for example, where I'm staying are very, very nice. And I'm amongst a different number of nationalities, really, really cool, humble people. I really enjoy it. So, but yeah, how about that for delivery? And just before I, I ordered a... Starbucks coffee straight to the door. I was a little bit disappointed to see that it was just a regular delivery person. I was looking for a Starbucks uniform slash outfit. Uh, maybe you can put a special request in delivery and say, oh, I would like the person to deliver it from the store, but I don't know. I, I think I got lucky with the KFC guy. So the next question here is, is Alex going to be competing before the Olympia? And this is something that a few people have asked me lately, and the answer is yes. Although uh, we're keeping that show on the down low. So Alex and I um, have not announced the show. Alex hasn't announced a show. So she will be competing in a show, maybe two, uh, before she goes to the Olympia. And the reason for that is once again in front of the American judges to get some feedback, to get some perspe perspective, because... <clears throat> excuse me, the perspective and the opinion, although credible for the Australian judging panel, might be a little bit different from experienced Olympia judges. So I think it's important to get in front of the you know, American judges that have that experience to get that feedback to see what other things that we need to improve, what tweaks they're looking for, and if they like their posing, presentation, suit color, hair, the work. So it's not just about, hey, how does the physique look? It's about everything. You know, do you like the bikini? Do you like the hair? Do you like the makeup? What are the things that we need to adjust? So gives us plenty of time to make adjustments for Olympia. And I'm sure that in, I have, I have my, we have our opinion on what could potentially need to be changed in terms of physique improvements. We'll wait and see for the feedback. But the intention isn't obviously just to rock up to, to get looked at. We're obviously planning to do very well. And I believe, I actually watched, um, there was a podcast uh, with, uh, Michael Tromboli, I forget what it's called. It was, I just uh, saw it the, the other day. There was a, uh, it had an episode with um, Alex on it. So if anyone wants to watch the podcast with with Alex on Michael Tromboli's uh, podcast, I definitely recommend watching it because I did. So it was actually really cool to see Alex getting interviewed. And I actually said to Alex, as soon as I watched it, I inboxed him and I said, "Hey, you actually did a really good job." Um, I generally watch it. If any, most of the time. As soon as I see any of my athletes do do a podcast, I always listen to it, and I'm, I'm just curious to see how they go because I, I like to see you know them develop as athletes, and it's it's cool to see 
how well they present. And I thought Alex presented really well, you know, to a podcast um, with with three other gentlemen. And I actually really liked the episode. So for anyone that's a fan of Alex and you want to hear more about her, um, you know, just her journey, a little bit more about her background and where she's at right now, it was really cool and insightful to see someone interview her. Because um, obviously I've done a couple episodes on the podcast with her and I actually would like to do another episode shortly. But it was great to see someone else interview her and I think I thought they did a good job. It was good to see. So check that out, guys. And um, yeah, so Alex is doing that. And um, there's a few shows. We've got a few shows on throughout the year, which I, I'm really looking forward to. I mean, Nicole Tan's competing shortly and uh, next month. That's coming up pretty quickly, I believe. The Singapore show, I think it's on the 6th. Pretty pretty confident on the 6th, which is the same day as the WBFF Sydney show. So Nicole's competing shortly. And um, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of contests coming up, actually. It's contest season again. So and we've obviously got ladies competing for IFB season B. Um, there's gonna be some ladies doing the amateur Olympia and the we're gonna have a team doing the amateur Olympia. So not just in Japan in November, but also the amateur Olympia in December, taking a larger team over that. So that's gonna be really, really cool. So the next question here is so what did you think of Janae's results for the USA tour? So, I mean, I was very happy. I, I thought that it was great. First of all, it was great to get to, for Nay to get seen. And you know what? A few of you asked, and I, I, got, I need to ask Nay as well to get her on the podcast. So a lot of you have asked for Nicole, you know, post-show, post-USA shows, which I definitely need to do and I would like to do. Nay and Alex. So that's something that I think would be really cool to hear from these ladies because, you know, obviously Nicole and Nay have just recently competed overseas. It'll be great to hear their perspective and opinion on things in terms of, you know, what their experience was like, how it was to get in front of, you know, international judges, how it was to compete on the international stage against, you know, professionals that, you know, have done really well at the Olympia. I mean, Nicole, Nicole did a stack show, like the stack stack show. So, it would be um, yeah, it'd be great to get their perspective on things. But going back to the question, uh, Nay, yes, uh, I definitely think that we were happy. I, I thought that like we, um, the first two shows, like the first show, I knew that we would be too lean, but that was kind of the strategy. We're like, all right, look, we're a little bit too lean. We can always soften up, which we did for the second show. And the second show, I thought was probably it's like the bodybuilding fan in me or let's say the fan of the sport in me because when I say bodybuilding I kind of refer to bikini so it's kind of weird by saying bodybuilding so the bikini fan in me was like oh, the muscle building fan I should say in me was like I really like Nays you know the, the second show that we did I was looking at a physique going yep it's nice and muscular it's less conditioned than the first show but it's a very impressive look we're fuller conditioned enough and that's when Nay was compared to you know Ashley K in the top call out. That was amazing. And the goal, I mean, for that show, I mean, to be in, in a show competing against Issa and Ashley K and to get a top call out was pretty damn amazing. And I know that Nay was really excited and felt very fulfilled, you know, to get, to get that outcome, to get that result. So, I mean, that was a really cool show. So in hindsight, could we have done things differently? There's always things you can improve on. You know, it's, it's very rare where a coach can authentically say, that they've peaked someone perfectly. And I I think that a lot of people might say that and they're completely off. Like they're either they're not perfectionists or they have no clue what they're talking about because very rarely can, can someone be like absolutely flawless in terms of condition and in terms of fullness. They can have very good condition and someone can be like, oh, they're perfectly on point. And you know, a lot of the time they're just lying to the audience because if you really know your athlete, you know what level of fullness that they can achieve but a lot of people don't understand fullness and the carb up process and what's capable. And that's just a level of knowledge and experience through you know, working with a lot of competitors and understanding what can be pushed and how far you can push it. And I, don't, I truly don't think that in this space, in this category, that's not something that's done really well because I do see a lot of competitors on stage very flat and without naming names or anything like that, I'm not gonna go into bashing people, but I do see that as a very, very common thing not just on a professional level, but like with the amateur levels and, and, and even more in particularly in Australia, I, I don't see a lot of competitors where I'm like, whoa, you're just blaring full and super conditioned. This is perfect. It doesn't happen that way. And um, 
I do think that the standard in Australia is improving, though. But we'll get to before we, I get into a rant about that. Uh, we'll talk about Nay. So, yeah, I, I do think there's always things that could have been improved in in the carbot process. Um, there's, I, I suppose, I will save this for the episode that I can have with Nay because we can go into detail and specific about it from, you know, her perspective as an athlete and my perspective on what I see because we're going to view things a little bit differently, perhaps. Um, although we do agree on a lot of things and we definitely agreed that her package was really gnarly at the second show. I, I think the, the, the combination of fullness and, and overall aesthetics was, was just really on point. Although the, the third show where we were told um, that her condition was on point, I mean, she did have a period. And, and that's something that we can get into detail a bit later and, and you know, some of the things that we did to, to change looks from the first show to the second show to the third show and adjusted our look based on the judges' feedback. And we had really, really strong judges, Olympia-level judges, giving that feedback. So we can definitely do a, a podcast and a discussion around that. So this is an interesting question, and it is, how hard do you think it is coaching a bikini? It's something that I've considered doing, but just don't know where to start. So very good question. How hard is it? I, I think it's it's all about the level of compliance with your athletes, but that's also leadership. So I, I definitely think that steering, steering the athlete in the right direction is very important, having a proper game plan and understanding how to execute the game plan the athlete needs to to be ready to to go all in and to, and to commit to the to it to the best of their ability you know it's any category that you do or any anything that you coach if you're coaching bodybuilding if you're coaching bikini if you're coaching figure and wellness etc you need to understand the category and there are levels of understanding of of categories and criteria and there's level of understandings of biomechanics and form and nutrition and putting it all together putting it all together where as a coach you know, you want to understand posing. You want to go, you, you know, for example, someone can work with a posing coach and you're going to look at them and go, okay, I can see that you're working on this, this, and this. Um, I'm not happy with this, this, and this, you know, and you, and you can see what they're doing with their posing coach. And over time, are they improving? If they're not improving with their posing coach, the posing coach probably doesn't have the level of knowledge that you need or require for your client to pose at a high level. Therefore, they're not the posing coach for them. There aren't a lot of posing coaches out there that I truly recommend that can, and, and that can pose at a high level. So it also depends on the client's goal. So for one, it, you know, there's so many different elements of, of coach, coaching, but this is just like what my mind thinks. You know, what is the client's goal? Do they want to win an open show, for example? Okay, so if they're working with an average posing coach, does it really matter You know, if their goal is a top call out? It's like, ooh, weighing it up. Do they really enjoy working with this posing coach? Are you being honest with them? I think it's important to be honest with the, with the client and say, hey, listen, this posing coach isn't up to scratch. You're not changing. Things aren't working for whatever reason. You, you say, it's either you're not doing the work, you know, you're not listening to their advice, you're not practicing, or they're just completely content with the way that you're posing and not adjusting things. Because sometimes there's a combination of both. Sometimes the athlete doesn't put the work in. Sometimes the, the coach is more than compliant, but the, the athlete isn't changing because they're not putting the work in. And, um, but sometimes, yeah, the, the opposing coach doesn't have the skills to pick up things and have the eye attention to detail. So it's important to understand the criteria and the posing, you know, what is required from a level of conditioning, level of fullness and balance. Now, then you're going to have to understand programming for the criteria. Then you're going to have to understand the level of condition, what's required, the timeline and to have a strategy in place. So that's pretty much the same for any category. So I truly believe if you are a good coach as in bodybuilding and then you switch to bikini, it does take some time to learn. It's not like, it's not something that's an easy task because for example, I thought I was a good coach, let's say two years ago for bikini. My, my ability 12 months ago beats the two years ago coach. My ability right now beats the 12 months ago coach. So if I'm improving as a coach every year, every six months, for example, I'm going to beat my previous best, right? So what happens if you're a new coach? You have to be learning. You have to be growing. Get yourself a mentor. I would strongly recommend, I mean, the way to fast track getting into bikini is to work with a mentor, someone that's going to teach you bikini to a higher level. To, to understand, you know, you should be able to watch the Olympia and to be able to go boom, 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 this is what I see. And if you can't do that and decipher what's going on, 
then it's going to be a little bit more challenging for you. And there's level of, again, there's levels of understanding of bikini and other categories. It's just, it's like, like, for example, do I want to coach classical bodybuilding right now? No, absolutely not. Because it doesn't interest me. It's not my passion, right? It used to be something that I was really interested in, but for whatever reason, that just, I went off classic. I went off, you know, men's physique, whatever it is. I actually kind of really like men's physique now. But there was a point in time where I was just like, this is not what I'm excited about. This is not interesting to me. Whereas I, I truly believe if you're a coach, coach what you're excited about and then you're going to be good at it because you're going to put time into learning and you're going to be, you're going to put time into being really good at it because you really enjoy it. So for me, I really enjoy bikini. I really enjoy wellness and I'm putting time into that and I actually really like figure. I think figure is beautiful because of symmetry and aesthetics. I just, however, don't enjoy, I, d I don't really like seeing ladies take it too far and lose their femininity. And I had this discussion with a client of mine today. I said to her, because she was we're talking about certain things, and I said to her, the good thing about you is that you have a very streamlined, balanced, top to bottom, aesthetic physique. I said, you know, there's no point pushing crazy things because some people out there in figure land push some crazy drugs. And that's not what figure's about. Figure's about having a beautiful, symmetrical physique, having a feminine face. If your face, apart from losing body fat, changes in a contest prep you aren't doing the sport correctly you are not doing justice to the category that you're competing in you are not doing justice to the ladies who may or may not look up to you who might want to be a figure athlete who might want to be a wellness athlete you might have your own goals and you might be selfish and think more is better with peds but that's not the case at all and that's not something that i, I encourage what i would like for ladies to think out there is what are the repercussions not only to you in terms of masculinity, but what are the repercussions to the next up-and-comer who's a first-timer that looks at you and think that automatically you need to associate a very masculine face with a category that you're competing in and oh, that's I need to take crazy shit to get that to get that look, which isn't the case. It's because you've rushed the process as an athlete. And these ladies are gonna, it's, it's a reoccurring cycle and these ladies copy you. So I think it's important to be a role model for the sport, not only to protect your own health, to protect your femininity, but to also protect the ladies that are up and coming. So for me, getting into, you know, working with some figure competitors, I really will enjoy the opportunity to keep these ladies feminine in the face, apart from obviously losing body fat, apart from having a very lean face, that's different. If you're losing body fat in a prep and your face gets nice and lean, that's great. But if your face changes in a negative way and there's some masculine side effects, that's not something that I'd like to be a part of. And that is because the ladies are abusing shit. And it's really interesting as well, I find just quickly, is when coaches put down other coaches, yet their clients clearly have signs of abuse, right? And there are specific people that I've seen that have gone from feminine and that have gone a little bit too far and, the, and they're still with that same coach and that coach badmouths other people for making stupid decisions. It's like, what? It, it's, it, it takes ownership and it's personal responsibility as a coach to make sure that your client is doing things in the healthiest way possible and in a feminine way. And that's for all categories. And I'm a big fan of keeping ladies feminine in the sport. And I think it's, it's very important because bodybuilding or bikini or wellness or figure is a hobby it's for a very short period of of your life it could be five years it could be up to 10 probably up to 10 maximum right what about the rest of your life what about the next 50 60 70 plus years that you're going to live you're going to live with those side effects because you made some really stupid decisions in a very short period of time because you were chasing vanity it's something that you really need to consider so i think with ladies if you take your time with, with, with this side of things, especially if you're in the other categories and there's pressure to put on size, take your time, remain feminine. This is a marathon, especially if you're competing in a, in a, you know, in wellness or figure that it does require some time. It does require some, an off season, even bikini to a lesser extent, obviously you don't need the size, but you still need to take your time. There's no point in rushing the process and blasting a bunch of drugs and having some crazy side effects because you want to use things to make up for your lack of discipline to your diet, lack of discipline and commitment to your training. And, to reduce the amount of time that you need to spend in the gym. No, it, those things, you know, training, nutrition is your foundation 
And it's important to stick to that foundation, to be true to that foundation, not rush the process. And there are some ladies that do rush the process and it never works out for them in the long run. I've seen ladies that have done it in a very, very smart way, stayed natural for long as possible, and then made the transition and they're very good athletes because they have the basic fundamentals down. They have their discipline, the commitment level, the goal is clear, and they'll do whatever it takes in the healthiest way possible, meaning good, good, good training, good nutrition consistently over a period of time, and then only enhancing that once they're in that position, with when they've had the experience, when they have competed and they've done well. So it's, for me, being involved in a sport where ladies are feminine is something that's very important, and encouraging education on this matter, and some coaches don't give a fuck. And I've seen many crazy protocols. The protocols are actually worse overseas. I will say that. There are some interesting protocols that I've seen in Australia, but the protocols are definitely more interesting overseas. I was having a conversation which, uh, with a dude in the gym over here, in Binos Gym. Everyone knows Binos Gym. If you don't know Binos Gym, you can check it out. It's pretty cool. It is, um, it's a very, very impressive gym. It's like Derrimut Gym in Caroline Springs, which is the biggest gym in the Southern Hemisphere, I believe on steroids <laughs> it's like yeah, the, the equipment is next level and everyone in there is jacked this is like bodybuilder central and that's where all the nice cars are parked at the front it's, it's really cool anyway I was speaking to this guy there he's a classic physique competitor he was talking about his girlfriend and she's a wellness competitor just won a pro card I won't say which show I won't talk about because then everyone can look it up but she won her pro card and he told me what she was using and I thought, holy shit, no way. I couldn't believe it. You know, the, the, not just the, the compound selection, but the dosages of such compounds. And I thought, wow, this is what you guys are using over here. This is crazy, right? Absolutely crazy. And it, it wouldn't be, I, I definitely wouldn't be fake shit either. This is from the pharmacy, you know, the, the, the drugs that she was using and the protocol was very, very interesting. And, when you're using such an interesting protocol, you speed up the process in terms of getting really, really quick results, but you are going to suffer the consequences of some side effects, some masculine-like side effects, and some things are going to happen downstairs that you're not going to appreciate, amongst other things. So very, very, very important to understand that this is for a brief part of your life, ladies. You've got a lot of your life to live after this. You know, it, encouraging encouraging YOLO dosages is not something that is a great idea. And I definitely want to push out the message that it's certainly not something that is required to do well to really push it to that level. And keeping figure feminine is something that I really would like to be a part of because I do see some ladies really thinking that some YOLO protocols are the way to go. And it just, it, it, it ages, it ages the skin. It, it gives a, it gives a sort of, very unyouthful appearance and I'm not a fan of that. And that's probably why I've been turned off certain categories. Like you go to the gym and this is going to sound really interesting and I get it. Some people are going to be pissed off, but it's not about you. It's not about pissing you off as an individual. It's about educating the young girls that are coming up to understand that's not stupid. It's just not a right thing to do. It's stupid. And you look at majority of, I'm going to say, you look at majority, not all, majority of women's physique competitors right? Look at their face. Is that something that you would like to do? You know, is that something you'd like to do? Probably not. Now, what the fuck did they do wrong? Maybe you can ask them, they'll be honest with you and say, you know, this is what I took to get this result. And I fucked up, you know, just straight up. But you're probably not going to have an honest conversation with someone because it's, 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 it is a sensitive topic. It would somewhat be an insecurity and they're making up for that insecurity with some crazy round full muscles. That's an impressive physique but this is for a short period of your life. And that's the way that I look at it. So being healthy and being feminine is, is very important. So just be, you know, choose wisely. Choose wisely when, when going down that road and make sure that it's important to, to ensure that your coach has your best interest at heart and they're having an honest conversation with you and like really talk about the side effects because I, I think choosing a coach isn't just about the results. Like in, in terms of what you can look like on stage. It's also about, you know, your, your health, femininity. I, I believe femininity is number one. Regardless of what you do, whether you're using PEDs or not, contest prep isn't exactly healthy. 
you know, more often than not, you're going to have to go very, very low calories to get in shape. And the, the level of conditioning that's required these days, unfortunately, is very, very extreme on the health. You know, you have to push really, really low. And the reality is not everyone is going to eat two, 300 grams of carbs to get in shape, you know, unless they've got a crazy metabolism. Most people have to eat very, very little. There are some examples of ladies out there that have that can prep in a lot of calories and get in shape. And I've prepped some of those, but I've also prepped a lot of ladies that have to eat fuck all to grind, have to do a lot of cardio, have to do a lot of crazy shit to get in shape. And that's the reality of the sport. So when you're putting that much stress on your body to get into contest condition, and then on top of that, you're adding in some YOLO PEDs and you're really pushing it. It's like, oh fuck, how far do you want to take it? And that's just my view right now. And I'm sure my view is going to evolve and change but it's something to seriously consider when you want to be an athlete. Like I had someone message me the other day who's an ICN competitor and it was an email actually. And I, I get a number of different emails and, and DMs, et cetera. But this one particularly, I, I remember, and she was an ICN competitor and she was curious to do wellness. And I said, you know, what is the long-term goal? Like what do we want to do? Like, you know, do you want to get a pro card, et cetera? Yes, I want to get a pro card. I want, I want to compete internationally as well. And I was like, are you prepared to use PEDs? And she's like, oh, I didn't think about that. She's like, is it needed? And I said, in order to, for you to achieve that goal specifically, yes. And not a lot of people are aware of that. You know, she was appreciative that I was honest with her. But the, the problem is, is that I don't think there's education on this type of thing of, of what's required. And I know for some competitors that are listening to that going, Troy, really? People still don't, people still believe that, you know, some competitors are natural. That's because people lie. And it's, it's not a transparent industry you know there is the, the industry is built on a lot of bullshit and a lot of fake naturals and it's because of that that there's this unrealistic expectation that you can you can compete in wellness and go to the olympia as a natural athlete i know that sounds crazy but there are people out there that believe that and there's people out there that push a fake narrative for their own gain because they don't want to admit which is absolutely fine and they're right that they're on PDs or that they've used a, you know, PDs to, to attain a certain look. And I don't think, by the way, that it is someone's responsibility to just publicly say that they're doing something illegal. That's just stupid. But I also don't believe that that same person, knowing that they take PDs, in my view, shouldn't put it out there that they're natural because that's a load of shit. And that is the wrong message. So, guys, that was actually... I've got a few, I've got, a, I've got so many questions. I can always answer them the next time, but I think that'll do it. I think that'll do it. So uh, I, I do say this often, but I would really like to get, in, to get into podcasting a bit more frequently. It's just, um, it's interesting when you make decisions in life and other things come up. And to be honest, the podcast is the last thing that I'm thinking, yes, I'm going to do another episode because I've got the time. I generally allocate time to other things that I'm working on. And I've got a few things in the works, a few exciting things in the works, which is really good and nothing to announce at this point in time because I like to put in the work and to show the results later. Um, I think it's important to call your shots, but sometimes it's also a good thing to keep things internal and, and have specific goals that are important to you that not anyone, not everyone knows about. And then, you know, if you're happy to share it later, which I might be, I'm happy to share it later. And I do think that um, actually just quickly, we're talking about, you know, that this sport is for a brief moment in time. It's, it's a, you know, it's only a very small part of your life. And it's the same thing with goals. You know, specific goals are only a certain part of your life and you get an opportunity to share them and you get an opportunity to keep them close to you. It's just, everyone has a different way to do things. And I understand that now. But the, the most important thing is, is that when you are getting after a goal, I truly believe that it is important to reflect, to reflect on that goal and to do everything in your power to make sure that that goal, that dream becomes a reality because you only live one life. And when you're fixated on one thing, it can be, become an obsession. So I also think that it's important to have different goals, you know, relationship goals, friendship goals, personal goals, health goals, business, career, um, you know, whatever, travel, whatever it might be. And you have certain things you can tick off. And that's the way that I've programmed in my mind now that I have these different different types of goals that aren't just business focus or it could be business focus, but it might branch off into other businesses and concepts and 
you know, for example, generating uh, money from different revenue streams, which I think is something that a lot of people should consider because there's a lot of ways to make money, especially in this world right now. Um, but that's a, that could be another podcast. I could go on. I could talk about finance, though. What, what do they say when you watch a YouTube video? This isn't this isn't financial advice. But um, yeah. Anyway, guys, thank you for listening. Let me know what's up if you want to hit another episode, hear another episode anytime soon. Questions, topics of podcasts, hit me up at Troy J Thornton. Thank you for listening, and peace.